Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. In this world, things don't matter. People matter. God created man, says the first chapter of your Bible. Man, mankind, in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Not just guys, male and female, he created them, mankind, in his image. So the clothes that you're wearing right now, whether they be very nice or as worn out as my shoes, sorry, I'm getting new ones, whatever clothes that you are wearing right now, they're fundamentally different from you because they're not made in God's image. Your dog and your cat, zero offense intended here, but you know that they're not made in God's image. They're precious, they're wonderful. They have many similarities with you because you live on the same planet. They've got lungs, you've got lungs, okay? But you are made in God's image. Your dog is not made in God's image. There's a difference. You are in the image of God. The person who's sitting next to you this morning is created in the image of God. Go down a hallway into the nursery, find people this big, they are made in the image of God. Children, teenagers, each individual one in the image of God. Nothing else is like that. Things aren't like that. Animals aren't like that. People are like that. Only people and every person is made in the image of God. Things are just things. Like the idols of olden time that could not move, they could not talk, they could not satisfy your soul. So it is with things, anything. Your car, your house, your phone, the new thing coming from Amazon later that you're excited about, wonderful. But it is a thing. It is not made in God's image. It cannot satisfy you. And inanimate things, they can't do anything. They can't talk to you. Moth and rust will destroy them, Jesus says. Thieves will come break in and steal them. There's only one object on this earth that really matters. People. Sometimes this is hard for us to see because People can be a lot harder to get along with than things. You know this is true. Things we like because things are personally convenient. If I have a very nice phone, fine to have, you do, got a very nice phone, it's very personally convenient. Think about how quickly I can scroll through social media. If I have a very nice car, wow, that is convenient. It's not going to break down on the side of the road. If I get that promotion, if we raise our income level, Think about how much easier that will make our life, how much relief that will give us. So things, anything, it's personally convenient. That's why we like things. And that's why we have to remind ourselves as we're doing right now, that no matter how convenient your things are, things are just things. And ultimately, things don't matter. People matter. Jesus said, isn't life more than food? and your body more than clothing. And again, he said, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
On the other hand, we like things because they're convenient. People. Much more important and much less convenient, usually. You may have grandchildren whom you love, and they're not walking with the Lord. And you go to bed at night, and it grieves your heart. It causes you pain. You have children, very young, and they don't care about your sleep schedule or your nice things. Then they grow up into teenagers, and they don't listen to you as you warn them about dangers. You watch them, broken heart, walk into dangers, and they don't listen. It's not convenient. It's not like a nice phone you just got. That's a person, and that hurts. A stranger cuts you off in traffic. Your neighbor lets his weeds spread into your yard. In-laws intervene in your marriage. Coworkers don't carry their weight, and per your last email, you remind them to do the thing they already should have done. That's inconvenient to you. People can be inconvenient. And you're inconvenient too, by the way. <clears throat> but if you were to ask, what really matters more? The metallic rectangle in your pocket, your phone, or that stranger who cut you off in traffic. In three years, your phone will be obsolete. In 3,000 years, that stranger will go on existing forever in heaven or in hell in the image of God. Which one really matters more? What matters more, the nice things you can't have because you have toddlers who destroy them or the toddlers? You know what the answer is, but you have to stop and think about it sometimes in the midst of life. And that's what we're doing right now, stopping and thinking about it. Things do not matter. People matter. As we come now to the end of Jonah, this is the summarizing point of the entire book, which God offers very kindly for us here at the end gives an object lesson, gives some teaching, and this is exactly the point that he is making. We have said before that the book of Jonah is not mainly about Jonah. It's not mainly about you or the Ninevites or the sailors. It's mainly about God, that he is a merciful God. And what does it mean that God is merciful? It means that he cares about people, including the Ninevites, in a way Jonah doesn't. You and I, therefore, must be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And He sends His reins of kindness on even those enemies, the Ninevites. Then you and I have to learn that things don't matter. People matter. Even very inconvenient people matter much more than things. God values people, not over things. It's not his problem, it's our problem. He pities people. He feels compassion for people. He feels wrath when wrong is done to people. God has the right value system. He saves people. He doesn't need this reminder. You need this reminder because you and I don't always do that. So this morning, our prayer is that God would help us learn this one lesson, to be merciful as God is merciful. Or in other words, not to love or live for things that just benefit me, but to love people because they're made in the image of God and are valuable to Him. So let's see that here as we come to the end of Jonah, chapter 4, starting in verse 5. 
Jonah went out of the city, that's Nineveh, and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes! I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And shouldn't I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Jonah, this prophet who had first refused to go to Nineveh, finally, after spending some time in the gut of a fish, complied. He went to Nineveh and he preached as an evangelist that judgment was coming on the city for its evil. And he was one of the most, if not the most, successful evangelists in the history of the whole world. <laughs> 120,000 very wicked Assyrians living there in the capital, Nineveh, all repented. Jonah hated it. Hated it a lot. Because his hope, and the reason he had run away at first, his hope was that God would destroy this city of enemies. Because they were inconvenient. <laughs> You know, decades later, the Assyrians would come and conquer Jonah's own home of Israel. They were enemies. They were a threat. They were inconvenient. And so Jonah didn't want to preach, but he does. They repent. But he goes out the city in our text, sits on the east of the city, and is still holding on to hope. He is hoping against hope that maybe he's wrong. And God will, in fact, destroy this city of 120,000 Ninevites and cattle, as we see. And so God challenges him here at the end and asks him, do you do well to be angry? Now, you remember God had asked the same question just in verse 4 of our text last week. Do you do well to be angry? It was different then. He was focused on Nineveh being saved and Jonah was angry that Nineveh was saved. And God asked, should you be angry about that? God's making the same point in our text, but the object is different. Here, Jonah's angry about a thing. He's angry about the death of a plant. And so here he is, east of the city, hoping for the destruction of Nineveh and weeping for the destruction of a plant. 
It's not good. <laughs> you know that. That's not good. So we get a bad picture of Jonah here at the end, but it's a bad picture of him so that at the end of your life, it won't be a bad picture of you. That you would learn the lesson that God's trying to teach us. And what is the lesson that God is trying to teach us here in these verses and in the entire book? People matter. Things don't matter. The way that we're going to learn that here in this concluding passage is an argument God makes from the lesser to the greater. That's his whole argument in the last two verses. The lesser is the plant that God provided as an object lesson for Jonah, and Jonah pitied it. Pitying a plant is not very important. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Makes a little sense. It's a lesser thing. Nobody's going to commend you for weeping over the plants that died in your garden. Sorry if they did. But no one's going to write your biography about that. It's a lesser thing. Understandable, but lesser. And God takes that and says, Jonah, look, you are pitying the plant. If you pity the plant, how much more greater should I, who created these people in my image, pity a massive city of 120,000 of them and cattle? That's the argument. And it is a demonstration that Jonah cares in this lesser bubble about a thing, a plant. That's what he loves. And God is using that to point Jonah to the fact that God cares about the greater thing. People. People. So let's begin then. This is how we're going to look at this passage is focus first and mostly on the lesser, Jonah and his precious plant. So we can build on that to see God's argument to the greater, his care for Nineveh in the last two verses. So let's begin by focusing on this memorable picture of a prophet and his pet plant here on the east of this city. Now the fact that Jonah pities the plant, that he cares about this plant, is obvious in what God says. Verse 10, he tells him, you pity the plant. <laughs> so we don't have to guess about that. This is so interesting to us because you know what? Pity is exactly what we've not seen in Jonah this entire book. He was on the boat with the sailors. They were about to die on his account. And you know what you don't find on that boat in Jonah? You find sleep. You don't find pity. He doesn't appear to care. Fast forward, he's at Nineveh now. He preaches, they repent. You know what you don't find in Jonah when they repent? Pity. His heart's not moved for them. For them. They're on the precipice of destruction. He's not afraid of the fire coming from heaven. In fact, the only thing Jonah's been afraid of is the fire not coming from heaven. The very opposite of any sort of pity. He's really watched with the stoniest heart you can imagine, men and women on the verge of personal, temporal, and then eternal destruction. And not one tear has fallen from his face because he wants them destroyed. It never elicited pity. His heart has been like a stone. Chapter 2, he prayed to God, there was some suffering, and then immediately back into a stone. He still wants the city dead. No pity. Anywhere you look, chapter 1, no pity. Chapter 2, softens. Chapter 3, no pity. Chapter 4, it's finally where we find some pity. A soft spot in this hard heart of this prophet of God. <laughs> you pity the plant. <laughs> Well, that's a fail. That's not good. He pities the plant. Here you have 
the prophet's affection. Look at verse 6. He doesn't just like it a little bit. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. At the beginning of chapter 4, the same Hebrew type of expression was used to express how angry he was. He was furious at what God had done in sparing the Ninevites. But now this expression is used to show he's happy for one of the first times in this book. Happy Jonah. Because of the Ninevites? No. Because of the plant. And his feelings for the plant are so strong, this is what produces almost a comical scene for us because it's like he's presiding over an unofficial funeral for his dear, beloved, and deceased plant. Verse 9, God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant because it died? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die myself. Jonah feels grieved, this poor plant that had never done anyone wrong, taken away before its time, snatched in the prime of its life. As Jonah eulogizes over love lost, this plant, it was the only thing he loved in the whole book besides himself. And now he is grieving its loss. So here we have Jonah. And in terms of values, what does Jonah value? What matters to Jonah? A thing. A plant. That's what matters to him. Now, what matters to God as he looks at this plant? Not that. <laughs> In fact, the text reveals two things about the plant. So if you just focus with me on this plant for a second, it meant so much to Jonah. I'm sure it'd mean a lot to him. If you would take a moment, focus on this plant. What is it that the text reveals to us about this plant? What makes it so special to Jonah? And why shouldn't it be? The first thing we find out about this plant is that Jonah really shouldn't find it so special because it's unimportant. Because things don't ultimately matter. That's one of the things God's trying to convince Jonah of and convince you of. It's not that things don't matter in a lesser sense, but in an ultimate sense, they don't matter. They are lesser. Lesser? Before we get to greater? So verse 6, for example, this unimportant plant Verse 6 makes it clear how unimportant it is because you fit the entire backstory of the plant into one verse. So it says, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah. That's it. So if you want to go write a biography, try to write a biography about the plant. To Jonah, it matters more than anything in the world. But you see, there's no background to the plant. It was just God appointed it and it grew. The end. That's it. There's no story of where the plant was born and grew up in such and such a town and these were its most important events in its life that shaped its character, that led it to where it is today. It graduated from high school here, it went off to college and it became something very impressive. Married such and such, had these children. No, that's the whole backstory. You see, God appointed it and it grew up over Jonah. That's it. It's not that important. Okay, this book's not about the plant. Then, after the plant had survived a single night in this world, it died. Verse 7, But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Our biography of this dear plant, we turn the first page and the end. <laughs> it's dead. It's gone. 
because God appointed a worm to kill it. Look how insignificant God considers the plants. Why I'm emphasizing this point to you is because this is what God emphasizes at the end of the book. Verse 10, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, no investment here, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. The Hebrew literally says it was a son of a night, meaning it was characterized by just the fact that it lived one night and then it was dead. It was a one-night plant here. And so there on the tombstone of the plant, the date reads yesterday-today. <laughs> dead. It was over. In fact, we don't even know what kind of a plant this was. The Hebrew word is kikayon, but it doesn't appear elsewhere in the Bible. And so we're not sure what this was, or at least not much. So a lot of people guess it was a castor oil plant, if you happen to know what that was. Just something that can grow tall and has broad leaves that can cover him and shade him. But the fact is, maybe it wasn't. <laughs> we actually don't know what kind of a plant this was. If you have a King James Bible this morning, it will call it a gourd. And if you have almost any other translation, it will just say a plant or a leafy plant. Because that's literally all we know about the plant. And listen, that's all you need to know about the plant. There's not a biography you can buy about the plant. Jonah loves the plant. We don't love the plant. It doesn't even matter what kind of plant it is. It's just a plant. It's a prop on the stage of God demonstrating his merciful glory. But to Jonah, it's the protagonist. It's the main character. It's the primary actor. It's the one he's focused on. It's the only one he feels pity for. It's the only one he grieves. It's the one who breaks his heart when it dies. This plant doesn't matter. It's a thing. It doesn't matter. The weeds in your backyard, that's how important this plant is. Because where is this plant now? It's gone. Our text first wants you to know as we think about the plant, that the plant doesn't matter. It's insignificant. You may then wonder if it's really insignificant, it's just a plant live one day and die, then why is Jonah, why does he feel pity for it? Why does he love it? Why does it make him rejoice with great joy and then into anger when it dies and then kill me God? I can't stand it that the plant has died. Why all this emotion? Why the pity for the plant? It's because of the second thing the text points out about the plant, this lesser part of the text. The second thing about the plant is that while it's not important, it is convenient to Jonah. And that's why he valued it too much. How is the plant convenient for Jonah? The whole text tells us. I mean, look at verse 6. It saved him from his discomfort. In the Hebrew, the word for discomfort is actually the word ra'ah, which has appeared a lot of times in Jonah. And we don't quite have a word just like it, but it's a word that can mean evil. So when the evil of Nineveh arose before God in chapter 1, that was its ra'ah. It can also mean the calamity God was bringing on Nineveh, which was not morally bad. It was just a calamity. That was also a ra'ah. And now we come here and God had given Jonah this plant in his kindness to save him from his ra'ah. Jonah did not want Nineveh saved from her ra'ah, mind you, but he wants to be saved from his ra'ah. So he wants to be saved from discomfort and that's even why God gives him the plant. 
so it's convenient. Jonah went out of the city of Nineveh at the beginning of our text here, and he had preached there quite successfully. The city is saved from its calamity. Our text says he sat to the east of the city, and if you wonder why, probably because he came in on the west side, that's where he would be coming from, or again because he's going to be hit with an east wind and by the sun that rises in the east, so there are a lot of reasons for him to be there. Also, from what we know of Nineveh at that time, there were rivers on the west and north and hills on the east and south, so there are a lot of reasons to be on the east, doesn't matter why, that's where he is. And he makes himself a booth there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So this booth is probably a rather thinly constructed interweaving of branches that he happened to find with some leaves on them. But it wouldn't have been a very solid structure. He just had a day to make it there in the desert. So it's not going to protect him from all the sunlight or from this ferocious east wind that's going to come. But enough to get a start. But God in his kindness supplements what Jonah has tried to do by providing for the booth a plant to go over it to protect him. And that's what you have. Verse 6, now the Lord God appointed a plant, made it come up over Jonah and presumably the booth as well, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his ra'ah. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So notice, thus far Jonah has zero complaints. Why? Because the plant is convenient. It personally benefits Jonah in a way that nothing else has yet in the text. Now, if you really want to know how convenient the plant was for Jonah, it becomes most clear when God takes it away. True of your idols too. You know they're idols when God takes it away and you get angry. That's what happens here with Jonah. Verse 7 begins the sad turn of events. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. Now we can laugh at Jonah and his love affair with this plant that lived only one day. And we can say, wow, Jonah never loved anyone or anything up to this point besides this plant. But that's not actually true. There's one object of Jonah's love that survived from the beginning of this book until now. And it has been himself. Jonah has loved himself very well since chapter 1. And that's the only reason he loves the plant so much. He doesn't have an odd interest in botany. He loves the plant because it's personally convenient. And he loves himself. So even though it's a thing that God says doesn't really matter, it matters to Jonah because Jonah loves himself. And it is convenient over his head on that hot summer day with that east wind blowing. This is why when you look back over Jonah's history, the sailors in chapter 1, why didn't they receive any of Jonah's pity? He was sleeping as they nearly died. Because they were not convenient to him, except to transport him away from God's will. Why when he gets to Nineveh and the penitential tears fall even from the face of the king and his heart is unmoved? Because Nineveh was not convenient to Jonah. You know what was convenient to Jonah? One little plant on the east side of the city. 
It's the only thing he loved in that whole plot of ground. And it was because it was convenient to him. In fact, in that moment, you could say that that plant was the most convenient thing in Jonah's whole life. So much so that when it went away, he wanted to die. Brothers and sisters, as we come under this text, I hope you see that the Lord has taken an arrow from his quiver and he fires it true at the heart of our sins because for all of us, we like things and we have a lot of things. Now, you know that having things is not in itself a sin, okay? You know that's true. How do we know that? Well, what does Paul tell Timothy to instruct the rich in this world and 21st century America, for most of us, we could consider ourselves rich relative to all of history. What does God say, Timothy? Paul says, Timothy, tell this to the rich in this world. Among other things, he says that God, remember that God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. If you go out to eat, that's not a necessity, that's a luxury. Enjoy it. Wow, that's wonderful. So there's not a biblical sense of guilt for having things because it's not the things that we have that condemns us. It's how much we love the things that we have. We feel Jonah's range of emotions about what in our life? About things. About our job, our future prospects of our financial well-being, our houses, cars, gadgets, toys. We rejoice greatly when we get them. And when God sends a worm to gnaw and kill them, then we get angry. Who is God to do this to us? And then we say, God, take my life. We sink into a despair because of things or because of money that gets us things. We spend a lot of our lives and attention on one-night plans. And we're doing it. This is the most grievous part of all for you and me. It'd be one thing if we were doing this in heaven, but we're, which we can't. We're doing this on the east side of a massive city full of 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left. And our hearts don't move quickly for them. When you look at Jonah, just stepping back in this text, what makes his attitude so painful to behold is not just that he loved the plant. We get it. He likes shade on a hot day. So do you. Buy an awning. That's good. But what makes it so grievous is how emotional he is about the plant, how he pities the plant, how he loves the plant. He's angry at its departure. He has felt none of these things about Nineveh. That's the point that God is making. Not that the plant was bad, but why does Jonah love the plant so much and he doesn't care about a whole city about to be obliterated just beside him? In fact, he welcomes it. And this is a rebuke to us too because we are all little Jonas. You know that as you've observed him in this text. When I can tell you more about... Sorry, I'm stepping on my toes too, okay? But when I can tell you more about the specs on my phone than I can about the name or personal life of the neighbor who lives right next door to me, what do I love? What do I care about? When God looks at your life, he doesn't look mainly at your phone. 
that you're excited about. Again, phones are fine. I'm not bashing phones, okay? Pick a different example. It's fine. God's not mainly interested in the car you're driving and the clothes you're wearing. God is interested in your coworkers that you see every day. And he's interested in them individually by name. He's interested in the strangers you met this past week while you were out and about. God is interested in your children, the noisy ones or the rebellious teenagers. God is interested in your spouse and your relationship with him or her. God is interested in your parents and in your in-laws and in your cousins. God is interested in your church family, the people you're sitting next to right now. When God looks at your life, to him, those are the things he values. Those are people made in his image. He values them. He pities them. He loves them. Do you? Or do you like the plant? Or do you like the things and the getting of more things? That's what Jonah liked. The woman who works a cubicle over from you, perhaps, you know, who may, like the woman at the well, be trying to satisfy herself unsuccessfully with relationship after relationship, and she cries herself to sleep at night and wipes it away to come to work. God cares a lot more about her than the furniture in your house. There is a true husband for her, and it's Christ, and you know it. And he's living water and he can satisfy her, but she doesn't have a well or she doesn't have a bucket to draw that living water from the well. She doesn't know. You do. I know it doesn't always feel as nice having conversations with people, serving and helping people, or especially sharing the gospel with people as it does when that package comes on your doorstep. That's exciting. Because when you share the gospel or try to get involved in someone's life, you will get hurt. You will find it inconvenient. They might be annoyed that you are sharing the gospel with them. They might be Ninevites who are personally inconvenient. So the easy thing to do is to go out east of the city, say, God, do what you want with them. I've got my plant. <laughs> and God gives you the book of Jonah to tell you, please don't do that. Because people matter and things don't. So this is really, as we focused on the plant and Jonah's love for the plant, this has been the lesser part of the argument. This is the foundation that God's building his argument on. He says, Jonah, you pity the plant. And now we move in this sermon, in this text, to the final point of the entire book, which is built on top of that lesser argument. How much more? Should I, God, and you, therefore, pity people, even inconvenient people like the Ninevites? See that in the text again. He says, you pity the plant, verse 10, for which you didn't labor. You didn't make it grow. If you've got things you like, you're just borrowing them. God made them. You're borrowing them. It came into being in a night. It perished in a night. You've got things that you like. They're going to be gone. Very soon, maybe not a night, but very soon. But if that's how you feel toward things, Jonah, shouldn't I pity Nineveh? And how can you be angry if I do? Because it's a great city, not a, not a plant. It's a great city, and there are more than 120,000 persons in there, and they don't know their right hand from their left. 
And there's cattle. <laughs> Interesting ending to the book. But God's question is, shouldn't I pity Nineveh? And it's placed before you as a challenge, not just to Jonah, but it is a challenge to you. Because it can be turned around and said, shouldn't you pity Nineveh? God is arguing from the lesser. You like things that are personally convenient? That makes sense. Okay, don't like them too much. That's fine. But if you like things, how much more should you love people? Because things don't matter and people matter eternally. On into the future, living forever in heaven or in hell and created in the image of God. So if you like things, then how much more should you like your neighbor? and your coworker and your family, even the inconvenient ones, because they matter so much more. Here is Jonah, and you and I are Jonah, and we are weeping outside the city over a dead plant that doesn't matter. But just beside us, within our view, 120,000 people in this great city, they don't know their right hand from their left hand. The city is home to more women, men and women and children than you'll probably meet in a lifetime. I don't know how many you actually meet. There's just so many people in this city and every last one of them created in the image of God and therefore important to him, not ultimately important, but important because they reflect his image. How much more do they deserve your pity? And God even furthers his argument by saying, look, if I can't move your heart to pity by how important they are, just realize they don't know their right hand from their left. Probably meaning you're a prophet from Israel who receives the oracles of God and you're doing the wrong thing. These people, they're Gentiles. This is all brand new to them. This is all news and yet they've repented. They're trying. Cut them some slack. Have some pity on them. They're ignorant like children. They need pity and compassion, not a prophet sitting on the mountain beckoning fire from heaven. And then that final argument that very unusually to us, but importantly, ends the book. And look, there's cattle, a lot of cattle, which is just that final argument as if to say, Jonah, even if you're just interested in things, there's so many more things in that city than out here. God is reasonable about this. God is merciful. He values people over things. What about you? As we conclude this sermon and this text and this whole book of Jonah, this is the challenge God places before his prophet. He places before all of us. Should God not pity all the people who surround you? Here we are in the city of Evansville. Nineveh doesn't exist like it once did but you're not off the hook. Here you are in the city of Evansville. And do you know what the population of our city is? As of the 2019 census, 118,588. Wow. Talk about God's providence. <laughs> Let's just round that up, okay? 120,000 people live in your city and they don't know their right hand from their left. Most everyone in that number, individuals known to God, do not know Christ. And if they die in that state, they will enter into an eternal state of conscious torment, rightly because of their sins against God. But that's where you and I deserve to be too. And God has graciously, at great cost to himself, snatched us away from that 
And you have to choose now what you are going to do. You can sit outside the city on the east and weep over your plant and the hard things when you lose stuff that's personally convenient to you. Or you go in that city and you proclaim the gospel. You care about people the way that God cares about people. More than personal convenience. The scriptures are begging you this morning to change your mind if you love things more than the people around you. If you just get annoyed at people, it happens. To change, this is not just an appeal to some momentary urge of zeal. Okay, this week I'll share the gospel, but this is a different way of thinking about your life. What is your life about? Is it about the things you have and the job you work and your promotions and your financial security? In other words, is it about the plant or is your life about the 120,000 persons who live around you every single day that God cares about, has placed you in this earth to give them opportunity for salvation, rescue, even within His sovereignty? What's your life about? It's not about things. Your life is about people, helping them know and cherish and treasure the God who has saved you. Jonah had heard, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And God is telling him and you, you shall love your neighbor and love your enemy. You shall love everybody, all 120,000 of the people you encounter. Not one gets an exception or an excuse. Your life is about them, reaching those who are lost, bringing them to salvation, serving those who are found, pitying the 120,000. God pities Evansville. Shouldn't you? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I beg you that these would be more than words to us, that you would take this scripture and you would drive it into our heart to help us to see the folly of Jonah so that in the light of his folly or the darkness of it, we can learn not to be him. I thank you for how much you've taught us these last 11 lessons through your word about your mercy toward us. And I pray you would help us to conform to that glorious vision of yourself that we find as a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, not fast, relenting concerning calamity, not quick to bring it, and abounding in steadfast love. Help us as we see you as such a God, through your Son, Jesus Christ, to ourselves become more like you and fulfill that image we bear as we love others who bear that same image. In Christ's name we pray.